0: This is an ABC podcast. There was one time in my life that I um, felt I had an influence over my siblings where I I had to go on to high school and national high and and I set the trend and I told my younger siblings that none of us is going to drop out along the way in school, especially in our lower primary and high
1: school. You know, I never really sort of wanted to start a movement or cause a stir. I was just working away. Uh, but for me, the highlights really would have been um, being the first female captain on a, on a jet for the Fiji Islands. Through my work
2: on the ground in the restaurants and the cafe, I adopt the farm-to-table concept because menus can literally be the creative glue that joins agriculture and tourism. So it's very important to create sustainable menus.
3: What is it about your husband that you love the most? I love that he's accepting. I'm not educated as most women are. So I was a school dropout and I love that he accepted me even though I I was not fully educated like he was.
4: That's just a sample of the great work Hilda Wayne and the Sisters Let's Talk team have done in the last few years. I'm Faleanga Fuluwinga Stunsna, the executive producer on Sisters, and I'm here because Hilda's having a well-earned break. Can you believe she's hosted 87 episodes of Sisters since we began the show in 2021? That's hundreds of interviews with women throughout the Pacific to talk about health, lifestyle and culture. The big issues that you face as a Pacific Island woman. We cover a lot of serious issues, but we also have a lot of fun making the show and there's a lot of joy in the conversations we have. So while Hilda’s away, let’s revisit some of her happiest conversations from the program. I’m Faleanga Fulowinga Stutzner. Sisters, let’s hear some of our favourite interviews from the Pacific. I’ve always wanted to do that. When you're the eldest, it goes without saying you take on extra responsibilities. Although I have to add, I'm the youngest in my family and I think it's fair to say that we shoulder our own responsibilities, but that might be an episode for sisters to explore down the track. Or big sisters. Are strong, capable and reliable. In some Pacific cultures it goes beyond this because elder sisters play a significant and special role in the family. You often become a mum for your younger siblings and you even shoulder financial duties. We made an episode of Sisters Let's Talk about being the eldest sister in the Pacific. Hilda met Hilda Mondo, who grew up in Papua New Guinea, and she formed a special relationship with her seven younger siblings, which continues to this day. And as the eldest sister, she had to step up.
0: You're expected to be presentable at all times. I was expected to be well-groomed because I was always told that you know, as the eldest daughter in our family, you represent your mother, your aunts, your grandmother, in all aspects. So you need to step up. As as, as I grew older, uh, the, the responsibility grew as well.
5: Are the little ones uh, usually a handful sometimes when you're growing up?
0: Oh, yes. I actually had to kind of babysit four <laughs> or five Siblings.
5: Whoa.
0: Um. Pretty much took up the role of my mom when she was not around, because she was a working parent, and at times she was required to go on duty travels outside of the country. So I had to step in. Apart from being a student at school, I also had the responsibilities of making sure my younger siblings were okay before I went to school or rushing home as soon as the bell goes to make sure that. Dinner is prepared and everyone is well looked after and all that. And no one is missing mom while she's away.
5: Oh, I totally get what you're saying. I think we, I'm also a big sister, we pretty much grew up really quickly just to fill in those gaps when, you know, mom and dad were not around. And would you say you were a positive influence in your siblings' lives?
0: Maybe they were the ones, they will be the ones who would tell me that. But there was one time in my life that I um, felt I had an influence over my siblings where I, I had to go on to high school and national eye. And, and I set the trend and I told my younger siblings that none of us is going to drop out along the way in school, huh? especially in our lower primary and high school. I, I thought I, that was the trend that I set but your situations and circumstances happen along the way. And some of them didn't make it through because of financial constraints and so many other issues. But that was one thing that I thought I made an impact for my siblings. Also, you know, they know me that I am one who always requires everything to be neat and tidy as they were growing up even my brothers were required to do the dishes or help in the kitchen where possible and then we all helped together you know I do see when I go home that some of my brothers do do still do that like that's amazing well done step up to help where their wives need help
5: that's beautiful well done And um, you are now living in Fiji with your family. Do you still maintain your connection with your siblings?
0: I do maintain connection with my siblings. I have to because that's the only way I, I also find out how my parents are doing. And also, I think all elder sisters have that inherent feeling of like, you feel like you're a mother to your younger siblings. And you just want to make sure that everyone is okay and no one is left behind and all that. Mm. sometimes it may be seen as we're trying to be I guess overprotective or sometimes it may be seen as we're trying to intrude in their private lives but I feel that as elder sisters it's normal for us to do that all the time.
5: <laughs> and um, do you value a role as a big sister?
0: I do. I now have my own um, daughter who is, a, who is a big sister. I try to To make her aware that she has a role as a big sister to play. You you know, in our culture, big sisters are often seen as moms, right? Mm -hmm. We take our mother's place. So it's a feeling of security, probably emotional security, or in the Pacific, mostly in the Melanesian culture. We now depend on our big sisters when our parents can no longer afford some things in our life, we, if we have younger siblings at school, we look up to our big sisters to help us financially, to support our education and all that. So I try as much as possible to make my eldest daughter see the reality of life. Life can be really harsh and crude in some ways. And there are instances where, you know, if anything happens to any one of us parents, big sisters are required to step in and take over the role.
4: That's Hilda Mondo, a big sister to seven younger siblings and an inspiration to older sisters everywhere. She spoke to Hilda Wayne for an episode called Being the Eldest Sister in the Pacific. In a moment, you'll hear about the efforts in the Pacific to swap processed food for traditional ingredients, but I'll leave that to Hilda to introduce.
3: Hello,
5: thank you for joining me on Sisters Let's Talk. I'm Hilda Wayne. Welcome to the heart of my home, which is my kitchen. I love to cook. And I'm so lucky where I live. I have a vegetable patch with lemons and oranges, and I also grow my own greens, so I can harvest these fresh ingredients and use them in my cooking. As you probably hear, I'm cooking dinner for me and my boys. We're having bully beef and vegetables with creamed rice. It's a favorite in my family. What about you? What's your go-to dish? Every single day across the Pacific, women prepare meals for their families. There's so much choice these days. We have access to all sorts of foods from all over the world. Unfortunately, like this tin of bully beef I am cooking tonight, a lot of the food we have access to is processed and not fresh. And it's not so great for our health. But something exciting is happening across the Pacific traditional dishes from fresh natural ingredients are making a comeback. And in fact, more and more, I'm trying to go back to the traditional dishes my mother and my grandmother used to cook. You know, one of my favorites back home is just good old sweet potato cooked in hot ashes and a hot cup of tea. That to me is just heaven, talking to my grandfather, chatting with him over fire. And also, another of my favorite back home is the mumu. It's normally not eaten every day. It's always for special occasions or something important that comes up. The mumu is done using hot stones and a uh, hole in the ground with banana leaves and all sorts of vegetables, organic vegetables, sweet potato, uh, pork, chicken, whatever. And it's something lots of women are doing across the Pacific, going back to traditional dishes. And it's not just women in their homes. Restaurants are leading the charge. One of them is Pedals in Samoa. It's run by Chef Dora Rossi. You might have seen it on the Pacific Food Revolution TV show. The restaurant is what is called Farm to Table, which means it's all about using the fresh seasonal produce. I asked Dora how important it was using traditional ingredients in our cooking in the Pacific.
2: It is vital. There's never been a better time to eat healthy, and you can do that by, obviously, eating local healthy food, like lots of vegetables and lots of fruit and fish in a healthy diet. We love to use local fresh fish. Um, my mum makes the best okka, okka, which is our fresh uh, raw fish, and it's marinated in coconut cream every Every country has their own, every Pacific country has their own name for it. Yes, it. yes. And only mum's allowed to to make it and she's very proud of that. And she gets her fresh purple every day and the local fish from the market. We love going and, and not only buying from the market, but also we love to meet the farmers and the people at the market and hear their story because people here are very proud of their produce. And since COVID has hit, a lot of people have gone back to the um, to the earth and gone back to farming. And the crisis of COVID has been a, a godsend that people have actually realized that farming is the answer to many problems.
5: Absolutely. Where do you get your inspiration from when you create your new dishes?
2: Well, my inspiration comes from my good friends. Um, I was involved and I was asked by my very good friend, Robert Oliver, he asked me to to join his tribe, what I like to call it, the Pacific Island Food Revolution tribe. And he's been my inspiration through my business to actually use a farm-to-table approach with my me as well. So it's very important for me to, to support my community.
5: And Dora, I guess... You know, it, was, it wasn't like this maybe 10, 20 years ago. Now it's different altogether. How do you use social media to promote your healthy traditional cooking?
2: Well, uh, personally, I, I, like to, I like to make little videos of, of what I cook at home. And, um, you know, just to inspire everyday people to use the ingredients that they find at the market. You don't have to spend a lot of money to eat healthy. We have beautiful produce in our market. But on a a bigger scale um, with Pacific Island Food Revolution, we've done a lot of work and the results are just absolutely amazing. And for who doesn't uh, doesn't know, Pacific Island Food Revolution is an innovative program that promotes local healthy foods in the Pacific to combat the non-communicable disease crisis through through communications and partnerships. Now we use the power of reality TV. I am the co-host for Samoa for the Pacific Island Food Revolution. We use also traditional and social media to encourage and inspire people to make better food decisions. The NCD crisis in the Pacific is accounting for 75% of deaths in the region, which mm. is a number which is absolutely outrageous. Yes, yes. So 75%, 75% of deaths in the region are due to non-communicable diseases and basically what people are eating every day. You know, 47% of women in the region are obese. And, you know, traditionally large bodies still, you know, and even today still signifies social status and power. And, you know, this conversation is by all means not to shame or make people feel bad about their bodies, but being overweight uh, bears many health problems, which is why it is very important to to have the conversations around food and our bodies. And Pacific Island Food Revolution has been an eye-opener for myself and for a lot of people. And, you know, we were quoted by the New York Times. They say Pacific Island Food Revolution is a crusade to revitalize Indigenous foodways in the guise of a genial cooking competition. So we're not just a cooking competition. We're actually inspiring people to eat healthy and to lead healthy lives. And it's, it's become more of a social movement rather than just a cooking show. Absolutely. Yeah, we've, we've had amazing results. You know, um, we are two and a half years in. And thanks to the support of the Australian and New Zealand governments, five million people tune in over twelve Pacific countries. That's huge. You know, there's a high level of engagement with Pacific Island food revolution. So, and this is important, is the food the food story of the Pacific has not been told internationally before. You see, so when the region reopens to tourism, people are going to come. Knowing about our food and this in turn provides the vital economic link to Pacific farmers. Local cuisine, you see, requires local agriculture. And basically, it's the link between agriculture and tourism is is vital. To be honest, many people do not know what it feels like to be healthy. You know, through my work on the ground in the restaurant and the cafe, I adopt the farm to table concept because menus can literally be the creative glue that joins agriculture and tourism so it's very important to create sustainable menus menus which can be a business plan to a nation you know we can choose what we order what we use every day we can choose to to support our farmers to support to support our community or we can choose to buy overseas food that is no good for you be sitting on a boat for a month before it gets to you You know, eating local healthy food is not only helping the community to be sustainable, but it benefits greatly health and in return your well-being. So it really is um, a cycle.
4: Isn't it wonderful that Dora Rossi is championing traditional food to tackle diet-related diseases in Samoa? And she's doing this through sharing her recipes on reality TV and through her farm-to-table restaurant. She spoke to Hilda for our episode about the traditional Pacific food revival. Well, it's time to buckle your seatbelt and put away your tray table. You're about to meet a woman who's in a very male-dominated field. Captain Salai Saomi is a pilot and the first woman in Fiji to captain a jet. In doing so, she's inspiring girls and women who also want to fly. Hilda spoke to Captain Salai in our episode, You Have to See It to Be It.
1: Well, I uh, decided to become a pilot pilot. Uh, very early on in life. My father was an airline pilot. And uh, so I guess you could say that planted the seed Mm. or definitely got the curiosity going. And so I used to go with him on his uh, navigation training flights when he was still a trainee pilot. Everything really started from then in that, you know, going on those uh, trips on uh, that little Cessna with him. (laughs) <laughs> and how many women did you know who flew planes? I only knew of two women that flew planes at the time and they were both flying for the domestic airline in Fiji. They were operating under FEG Limited at the time. So, so yeah, just two. Wow.
5: And your dad was a pilot too. How supportive was he and the rest of the family to you choosing a career to follow your dad?
1: He was uh, extremely supportive. Sort of, uh, you could say, just the pillar for um, my career choice, I guess, because I saw him and his commitment and uh, also how passionate he was for the craft. That's what really started things off for me. So, yeah, he was very supportive, even uh, all throughout, you know, early on in school. I was only four years old when I'd do those trips on the Cessna with him. (laughs) So,
5: yeah. (laughs) You've had a remarkable career. What has been some of your highlights so far?
1: Obviously, just, you know, I never really sort of wanted to start a movement or cause a stir. I was just working away. Uh, but for me, the highlights really would have been um, being the first female captain on a on a jet for the Fiji Islands. Also, another highlight would be just being able to fly my mum. Oh, that's lovely. Honolulu on a holiday trip. Well, actually, it was a working holiday for me because I was working, I was flying. But yeah. Just being able to do that, that was really cool. I bet it was.
5: What are some unexpected
1: challenges for you along the way? Uh, the unexpected challenges, is probably um, the fact that, you know, you're constantly being checked, if you like to say, and scrutinized. So every six months we have proficiency checks. So I guess for me, it's just that you're constantly sort of building your knowledge. You're never actually set, you know, in stone on anything. You're just always updating what you already know. It was quite an interesting um, surprise.
5: You know, the career path that you've chosen, we could safely say that you're a role model for many girls, not only where you come from, but in the Pacific. How does that feel for you personally?
1: Like I said earlier, when I first started, you know, pursuing my dream, I didn't really think of myself as a role model, sort of just putting my head down, putting one foot in front of the other Mm. and working away. But having reached or being in the space that I am, I have to say I'm quite humbled by it. And um, yeah, what a responsibility, especially to the younger generation. Just you know, upholding something that they can hopefully cling onto or view as a glimmer of hope in um, you know in whatever trials they face. They're like uh, sort of say, you know, I can do it, so can I.
5: Exactly. Now there's a little girl who wants to be a pilot and she looks up to pilots as well. She's seven years old from Papua New Guinea and she's got some questions she wanted to ask you. Is that okay with you?
1: That's absolutely fine, Hilda. How did you become a pilot? How did I become a pilot? Well, my dad was a pilot, so I thought it'd be really cool to be one too, because I saw his cool uniform.
0: How do you control the plane?
1: How do I control the plane? Like... Just like a car, you've got a wheel and you've got pedals for your feet so you can steer. And it's got an engine and it's supported by wings also. So I liken it to a bird. You know how a bird has wings? So a plane has that. But because the plane uh, can't flap its wings (laughs) like a bird, otherwise it would be a little uncomfortable. Um, We have engines that keep us in the air. How can you tell where to land? How can I tell where to land? Well... We kind of got a computer with us and the computer works everything out for you and gives you a message to say, oh, here yeah, this airport is nearby or this you can land here. So you kind of have like choices along the way that the computer helps you choose. Why
3: do we feel bumps when flying?
1: You know how like you go along uh, the road and you've got sort of like those uh, potholes? you know <laughs> you know so when you go around along the road you got potholes so kind of like when we go in the air we have little air pockets and so they call it, sort of like cause the bumps in the road or bumps in the air.
5: My final question Selai so like, we know it's important for girls to see women doing the things that they're interested in like you said before what advice would you have for listeners who are interested in work that they cannot see other women doing?
1: My real big advice would be to believe in yourself. You know, you're always in a process of becoming. You can only control what you can control. So you can control putting your best foot forward, being positive, affirming yourself. Yes, I can do this. And even
4: if I fail along the way, I'll try and try again. It's a matter of self-belief. Captain Salai is a pilot and the first woman in Fiji to captain a jet. She spoke to Hilda in the episode called You Have to See It to Be It. And I hope that episode continues to show Pacific girls and women that you can aim to be whatever you want to be. You're listening to Sisters Let's Talk on ABC Radio Australia.
5: Do you believe in love at first sight? Or do you think love grows as you get to know the other person? Either way, I love hearing stories of our couple's first met. It makes me feel warm and fuzzy. And if you want to feel that way too, listen to the next story.
3: My name is Mere Terukalo. I am from an island here in Fiji called Nao. And I'm 29 years old. Uh, I'm married uh, to another part of Fiji. It's Naita City Highlands. And we have three kids. We're married now for 10 years.
5: That's lovely. So tell
3: me about the first time you saw your husband. What was it like? <laughs> just like every other girl, like when you know that you've seen the one, like you have butterflies in your stomach and you just can't wait, <laughs> you know, to like start dating and everything that comes after that. That's beautiful. I was around 18 at the time and my husband was 20. And then uh, we got married uh, in the year 2010. That when I was 19 and he was 21. So tell us uh, the
5: first time you actually met, what have you actually met? What was that moment like?
3: <laughs> the moment was uh, amazing. We met just when we had moved into this little town here outside of Suva. And I, I met him and then he left for school. And then when he came back is when we finally got together and started dating. So what was it about him that really attracted you to him? <laughs> I'm not the type of person who's into like tall, fair kind of people. I'm more into like dark people. So that's one thing that caught me. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, okay. Just the right height. I didn't know much about him at the time, but then when we did start dating, then I, you know, I got to know who he really was, how, where he was from what were his interests and everything. So then that it kind of like got more of my attention.
5: Wow. So it's a journey. And when did you know yeah. that this was the man you wanted to spend the rest of your life with? Oh,
3: well, I, for me, i pretty much just from the beginning because I never really was much of a person that dated a lot of people. So when I really set foot, like I, when I saw him for the first time, I knew like I had feelings for him. And then a year later, then he does come back and then approaches me for us to go on a date and then like everything just hit off after that. To getting to know each other came in, it just was it. Good on you. So did you meet him in church or in town or where? No, we met just around, because we live in the same community in the small town that we live in. They usually come down to closer where we live to play volleyball and touch rugby. So that's where we usually met when we come to play volleyballs every afternoon. What is it about your husband that you love the most? I love that he's accepting and that even though he doesn't have a job at the moment, he hasn't really had a steady job from when we got married. But he's he always finds a way to look at the brighter side, even though he it was supposed to be his job to be looking after us. I love, I love that even though I'm working accepts me. Or a lot of things. I'm I'm not educated as most women are, so I was a school dropout. And I love that he accepted me, even though I wasn't I was fully educated like he was. And that's what I love about him that he accepts me. He accepts my family.
4: That's Mera Sirikalol who shared her story for our episode called Pacific Women Finding Love. People meet their partners in all sorts of different ways now, from introductions through the church to dating apps. If you love, love, make sure you go back and listen to that episode. Okay, Hilda, back to you. Thank you so much for
5: joining me. Hilda Wayne for Sisters Let's Talk on ABC Radio Australia, a weekly show by Pacific Islands Women for Pacific Islands Women, where we get together to talk about the issues that are important to us. If you've missed an episode of this show, catch up on our podcast. You can listen on the ABC Pacific website or on your favourite podcast app. If you've got a topic you'd like me to cover on the show or any feedback, I'd love to hear from you. Send me a message anytime at the ABC Pacific Facebook page or email sisters at abc.net.au. That is S-I-S-T-A-S at abc.net.au.
4: Next time on Sisters Let's Talk... Cervical cancer kills far too many women in the Pacific, but as screening and treatment programs are rolled out, eliminating this preventable cancer looks more possible than ever.
0: is like a kit. It's handy, it's easy to carry around, so it is more convenient to do it outside in the remote place. The 20 seconds treatment we will apply it to the positive reason where we have identified HPV. So far, we have screened since 2021 August up to today. We have screened almost a dozen of women because we go out even to the other islands to to get the women there, the underserved population there. We travel to them to get the swabs from them on the boat and back to the island for testing.
5: I know it's really hard because we have geographical conditions that makes us hard to go into the very remote part of the country to uh, give the screening and testing. but. I would really much appreciate it if um, our government can look into it to help so
4: in one way or the other we can try our best to help eliminate several cancer. That's next time on Sisters Let's Talk. Sisters Let's Talk is presented and
5: produced by me, Hilda Wayne. Supervising producer is Kim Lester and executive producer is Inge Stunsner. Sisters Let's Talk is produced on Wurundjeri, Durambul Jagara, and Turbul Country and is an ABC Radio Australia production. i na see next time.